blacks in this room, and not just in this room, but everywhere it may reach, Father. Before time, Father, before you created this world, you knew this day would come, and you knew, you knew what you wanted to do tonight, Father. So have your way. Have your way, Father. y'all for joining in these services we want to thank you for being a part of the service here and we believe god is going to speak to us tonight and i hope that whatever god has for you you receive it i hope that whatever god speaks to you you listen and you acknowledge it and you use it in your life guys today we're going to be talking about one of the many miracles in the bible and uh, when we start reading this uh, some of y'all may have read this before or listened to it before uh, but we're, what we're going to do is we're going to dive deep into this and see what god has for us tonight so if you're following along if you want to open up your bible uh, we're going to be reading out of acts chapter 3 And we're just going to start from the beginning, and we're just going to let God speak to us tonight. So starting in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. And it is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So this is the first part of the, of the chapter of, of Acts, uh, chapter 3. 
It's painting a picture for us. It's putting us in the scene. So some of the things it says is Peter and John, who are were some disciples of Jesus, right? Uh, at this point in history, uh, Jesus has resurrected and he has gone back to heaven. Uh, before he left, he, he made it his disciples' mission to spread the gospel. And this is what we see Peter and John doing. So Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. So they're, they're going to church, to put it in our terms. They're going to and as they're going in, as they're walking in, there's these people carrying this lame man. They're helping this lame man. They're carrying him. Uh, for those of y'all who don't know, uh, being lame means you can't. Some part of your body it doesn't have that function. So for him, it was his legs. This man couldn't walk. And this was a man. So this was, he had this condition his whole life. Friends or whoever it was that carried him were carrying him to the temple, to the church, so that he can sit there and ask people coming in for money. That's what the word alms means. So he would sit there and he would ask people for food. He would ask people for money. Anything that people were willing to give him. And, and that was his life. It says daily. So every day he would wake up. At some point he would end up at church. He would end up at the temple begging people for something, begging people for money, begging people for, for food because he couldn't walk. He couldn't, he couldn't work. He couldn't take care of himself. So he was depending on these other people. He was depending on these people coming into church to give him something. And that was his life. And so on this day, he's, he's sitting there. They just laid him down and he sees Peter and John and, he, and he's, he's asking. He's asking for money. And, and Peter and John, they look at him and they say, hey, look at us. So what that tells us is this man didn't want to look up. So as people were walking in, he, he couldn't see people in the eye, right? Like he, he knows he has to beg, but he's not proud of it. He knows he has to, to beg, but maybe he's ashamed of it. But when they, when they say, look up at us, look at us, it says that he looks up and he's looking at them and he's expecting them to give him something. So maybe now he's happy. He's like, oh, these people are going to give me something. But then we continue in verse 6. It says, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So a miracle happened, right? But let's dive, let's dive a little bit deeper. Peter says, I don't have any gold. I don't have any silver. What you're asking for, I don't have. And so as Christians, when we see people in need, what is our immediate reaction? We feel mercy. We want to help them. So, no. you walk with Jesus makes me want to think that when Peter saw him, he had this love for him. But like he said, he didn't have gold. He didn't have silver. He didn't have what he was asking for. But what he says is, but what I, what I do have to you. And so the question is, what did Peter have? 
what did Peter have that was better than gold, better than silver, better than food? And the short and simple answer was, Peter had Jesus. Peter had Jesus. He had Jesus to give. And, and why can we say that? Because he walked with Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. Jesus taught him. He learned. And like the Bible says, now it's Jesus and us living through us. And we see that that's the same with Peter. Peter in that moment, he says, I don't have what you're asking for, but I do have Jesus. And what does that mean? That means that he had hope to give. He had love to give. Mercy, compassion, grace, faith. And most importantly, he had life to give. And each one of us as Christians, we have Jesus to give. Yeah, we might not be able to help everybody we, that asks for help with what they're asking for. Like, hey, I need this type of money, or I need you to, to do this for me. I need you to do that for me. A lot of times we, not, might, we might not be able to help in those ways. But in the same way Peter did, us as Christians, we have the ability and responsibility to give Jesus. And that's what he does. And we see the, the result. We see what happens because of this. It says he took him up, raised him up, and immediately the ink was removed. Now think about how crazy this is. This man has never walked in his life. Okay? So if you've never walked in your life, you haven't used your legs, there's really not going to be any meat on your bones. There's not really any muscles you can rely on. Even if you try to get up, physically, his legs wouldn't have been able to hold him up. Right? He's never walked in his life. Think about, think about a baby. How hard is it for a baby to just learn how to walk? It's something they have to get used to. Imagine this man living this many years, never walking. This was something that was impossible. Yet in the moment, because Peter wasn't seeing with uh, human eyes, but he was seeing with Jesus' eyes, that, hey, I know what Jesus did for me. I know what I saw Jesus do. I, I saw all those miracles he did. And I don't have any gold. I don't have any silver, but I do have Jesus. And it says that he got up. He could walk. He was leaping. He was praising. And he was praising God. Verse 9, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So everybody knew him. Why? Because every time they walked in, they would see him. Every time they walked in, for however long this guy was alive, they would see him there, asking for something. And so they, maybe they just went in, right? And they just passed him. And now they see the same man that just passed. Walking, jumping, leaping, praising God. And they're amazed. They're amazed. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, and this makes sense, right? If some, somebody just gave you the faith to walk, you're going to want to be around them, right? So he's, he's following Peter and John. This, this man is following Peter and John. It says, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So now everybody who's seeing this man jumping, seeing this man praising, they want to know what just happened. They want to know what's going on. And so just imagine being in church and then everybody from everywhere just starts running to one place. So everybody's crowding up. 
And now all these people are around Peter, John, and this man, and they want to know what's going on. They're like, think about something crazy you've seen. Like, you don't believe it, right? And then you want to go and you want to see if it's real, if it's not, if it's like, how are they doing it? This is what was happening with every single one of them. But then we see, we see a reaction, Peter's reaction. And it says, well, it says, and when Peter saw it, when Peter saw this reaction, he addressed the people. So now everybody's huddled up looking at Peter, and now Peter begins to speak. And he's talking to all these people. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So he's saying, like, why, why is this so crazy to you? You were there when Jesus was doing it. You've seen the dumb before. Why is this so crazy? Why, it's not us. Why are you looking at us like if we, we made him walk? No. And he goes on and he says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. Okay? And the importance of this is that these people, it's important to notice who he's talking to, the men of Israel, God's people. And the importance of him saying, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, is because these people believed in God, but they didn't believe in Jesus. And so now he's, he's kind of, God is opening their eyes through Peter. And he's saying, hey, you're God. The God you believe in. The God of your fathers. The God of our fathers. Glorified his servant, Jesus. And so now he's making a connection between their God and Jesus. This man who they knew, who they saw who they walked with, who they heard. And, and he's connecting them. God is using Peter to connect them in their mind because they couldn't, when Jesus was on this earth, they couldn't grasp that. They didn't accept it. And he says, whom you delivered over, so they delivered Jesus over and denied in the presence of Pilate to release him. Denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be to you. And you killed the author of life. Okay. Now he's bringing back what they did. He's saying, God sent Jesus. But when you had the opportunity to free him, you traded him for a murderer. You said, no, kill Jesus, free You denied him. And you killed the author of life. So think about being surrounded, right? You're at, you're at church. There's a lot of people. And, and you come up and you see this miracle. And now you think it's cool. You're excited. But now you're getting told, hey, when God sent your Messiah, when God sent your Savior, you denied him. You rejected him. You killed him. And in this moment, God is just opening up their minds, opening up their eyes. And they're seeing, they're seeing for the first time, wait, we did. Jesus was our Savior. Jesus was God.
And so these people, when they start realizing this, they, they start being uh, convicted in their hearts. There's a brokenness. Now, this isn't the first time Peter has preached like this. If you want to go back and read chapter 2, he has a similar message, and what it says is that their hearts were broken, shattered, when they heard these truths. Because think about, think about it, being, being in their shoes, right? Someone came down to save you and you killed them? What hope do you have left? If anything, you have judgment, right? But it goes on and it says, and you kill the author of life, but it turns around and says, whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. So he's remind, reminding them, hey, yes, you killed him, but he also resurrected. And we saw it, and you saw it, and we're all witnesses. So that conviction is that way. Jesus, we killed Jesus, he resurrected. So Jesus was God, but we killed him, and now we're going to pay the price for it? Think about all that guilt that leads to brokenness. It says, and his name by faith. And now he's, he's saying all this happened, right? Because they all came together to see how it happened, why it happened. And it says, and his name, in Jesus' name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And that's in chapter 16. I mean, chapter 3, verse 16. So he's saying, all this that you've seen was done in the name of Jesus. It was done by faith in his name. And it was Jesus who allowed him to walk. It was Jesus who gave him perfect health. It was Jesus that has allowed this man to be before you now as you see him. And think about that. The man they killed, the man they crucified, was still doing miracles to grab their attention, to speak to them, and to know that Jesus is moving, he's still alive, there's this burden of guilt on them. So what is left but judgment or hopelessness? You see, these people had been given the exact and perfect truth through every prophet God used. And Peter talks about this. In verse 17 it says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So what he's saying is, this was going to happen all along. It was in God's plan for him to be crucified. It was God's purpose, God's plan. And he said, and I told you, and I warned you through all the prophets, all the prophets that they, they listened to, all the prophets that they would read about, Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these prophets God used to speak to his people. They knew what to expect. Yet when Jesus himself came down and was fulfilling each prophecy, they were blind. They were unaware. They denied him. They rejected him. 
So at this moment, there's a feeling of brokenness, of, of no hope. But then God, through Peter, reintroduces this hope and forgiveness. Verse 19, it says, Repent therefore and turn back. Repent and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. So all this heaviness, all this sin that they were carrying because they knew that they killed Jesus Christ, they were being told, turn back. And all this darkness, all this sin, will be nothing. It will be blotted out. And for them, it's like, like really? That can happen? That seems impossible. My sin is too great. Because even though every prophecy and every sign pointed to Jesus as the Messiah and Savior, His own people He came to save rejected Him. You see, God sent Jesus, and that's what Peter's telling him. God sent Jesus, our God sent Jesus. Yet you denied him and rejected him. The one who came down from heaven to save you. But not only that, not only did you, did you deny him, you beat him, you spit on him, you cursed him, you killed him by crucifying him on the cross. But Peter is saying, but you can repent. And you can turn back. And it says, your sins will be blotted out. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul he does, who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So again, he's reminding them what Moses told them. He's reminding them what the prophet Moses told them, that there was going to be a prophet just like him. And he, Moses himself told him, listen to him, whatever he tells you. And if you don't listen to him, you'll be destroyed. And that's the truth. If you... Accept Jesus, if you listen to Jesus, Jesus saves you. If you reject Jesus, you reject life, you reject salvation. You will be destroyed. That's what, well, that's what he's saying. And then it goes on and says, And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And he's reminding them, every prophet has spoken about Jesus. Every prophet has pointed to Jesus. And you're sons of the prophets. Verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So just read this verse again and understand what's happening in this moment. They have just been told that they've killed their Savior. That when Jesus came down to give them life, they rejected life and they put him on the cross. But then we go to this verse and it says, God, having resurrected Jesus, sent him to you first 
because he wanted to bless you by turning every one of you away from your wickedness. Yes, you rejected him. Yes, you put him on the cross. But when he resurrected Jesus, he said, that you can turn away from your sin. How does that make any sense? How does that love make any sense? But that's who God is. That even though we're covered in sin, covered in darkness, sinful in nature, even though we put Jesus on the cross, He blesses us by allowing us to turn away from the sin. It's not something we deserve, right? We chose sin over Christ. Yet He comes back and says, but I want you to turn to me. I came back so that you can turn to me and let go of the sin. Chapter 4. And so as, as Peter is talking, as Peter is preaching, as he's sharing the gospel, God is working in their hearts, working in their minds, working through the Spirit. In chapter 4 it says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So now the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees come in and, and they're mad. They're like, wait, you're preaching Jesus? We thought we got rid of him. We put him on the cross. He died. Yes, they, they were talking about him resurrecting, but we, we try to cover that. And now you're preaching him? So now they're mad. These people who were supposed to lead God's people who rejected Jesus, are now mad that Jesus is being brought up again. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So because they were talking about Jesus, they got arrested. And they were put in jail by God's people. But the amazing thing here, verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So now we think about this huge number, 5,000. And now we go back to the story of the lame man and we put those 5,000 in that setting. Think about how crazy that is. Peter and John walk in. Walk in they see the lame man. God performs a miracle. At least 5,000 people come. And Peter is speaking to at least 5,000 people. And he's telling them what God is revealing to them, what they've done. They've crucified Jesus. They crucify their Savior. But God was working in these 5,000 people. God was speaking to these 5,000 people. And it says that 5,000 people believed. 5,000 people believed. And this is just crazy how God works. Chapter, uh, verse 5 in chapter 4. So now it's going on to the next day. What happens next after this? It says, On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and, were all, and all who were of the highly priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? So now all these, all these people in the in church, these high people are coming to John and Peter and they're, they're, they're asking, because even they were amazed, right? They saw that, that lame man walk the same way everybody else did. 
And they're asking, how did you do this? By what power? Verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter is speaking to these high priests who put Jesus on the, on the cross. Who every time God tried to speak to them, they close their minds, they close their hearts, they harden their hearts. And he's calling them out. He says, oh, you want to know who did this? Christ Jesus. The one you crucified. The one you rejected. The stone you didn't want to use. You were trying to build this foundation, right, without using Jesus. Makes no sense because he's the cornerstone. He's the one who holds it all together. And he's telling them straight up, and there is no salvation through anybody else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So basically what he's telling them is, if you don't accept Jesus, there's no salvation for you. They've already rejected him once. And he's saying, if you don't accept Jesus, there is absolutely no salvation for you. Now, how would you react if somebody told you that? And if, if you were actually in, in, a, in a state where you could believe, you would want to be saved, right? We all want to be saved. So if someone tells you this is the only way you can be saved, it makes sense to follow that way. It makes sense to understand that way. And Peter's telling them the only way you can be saved is through Jesus. That's the only way. And this is, this is the amazing part here. Chapter, I mean, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So to hear Peter speak in this way, to call him out, they were like, wait, these are ordinary people. Wait, these are uneducated people. But look how bold they are. Look how they speak. And they were astonished. They couldn't understand how this could happen. And then they recognized, they remembered, hey, he was with, they were with Jesus. They can do this because of Jesus. And so there, there's opportunities there for them to let their heart be broken by Jesus, but they chose to be hardened. It says, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, 
let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they let them go, right? And they all get together and they're like, what are we going to do? Everybody saw this happen. We can't deny it happened. And it just lets you, it gives you a glimpse of their mind. They saw it happen. Then they themselves admitted that they couldn't deny it. But instead of turning to this Jesus who can perform these miracles, they couldn't let go of their own lives. They weren't willing to let go and live like Christ. Because what they thought they would be giving up felt like too much. And the same way, all of us have choices. on when to let go. And sometimes we want to come to Jesus holding all these things. We want to come to Jesus not willing to let go of anything. Or maybe we give parts to Jesus. But this over here I have to keep. This job I have to keep. This friend I have to keep. This girlfriend, boyfriend I have to keep. These friends I have to keep. My career I have to keep. I can't let go of that. It's too important. And what we end up doing is we, we end up just like these Pharisees and Sadducees. We know who God is. We know what God wants to do. But we allow ourselves to kind of look away, be, be blinded, and do our own thing. And that's what they were trying to do. They, wanted, they were so comfortable doing their own thing, so comfortable being on top, that the thought of having to be like everybody else and being a servant to everybody else because God said you have to serve one another. The thought of letting go of all this that they worked so hard for, it was too much for them. They said, you know what? Let's just pretend he's not Jesus and we're going to stay on top. And that's basically what they did. And so what they're trying to do is shut up Peter and, and, and John. So that when they come back, they're like, hey, don't speak about Jesus anymore. We don't want you to speak about Jesus anymore. If you do, you might end up in jail again. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So Peter is saying, If it's bad for us to not listen to you, you can judge us for whatever you want to. But we speak what we have seen Jesus speak. We do what we have seen Jesus do. Because we are his disciples. That's what he's called us to do. And they're t basically telling them, we're going to keep preaching Jesus because that's our mission, to spread the gospel. And it says, and when they had further threatened them, so even after they said that, they're like, okay, well, do that again, you're going to end up in jail for this long. Or do that again, we're going to whip you. Do that again, and we're going to do this to you. So they, they continue to threaten them. But it says they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. So right, they were too scared to punish John and Peter. Because remember, it was at least 5,000 people who had been saved. And it says they were all praising God. Now imagine if they had found out what, if they punished Peter and John. They were scared of those 5,000 people. So what they, what they did is, okay, you can go. In verse 22. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed 
was more than 40 years old. So at the very end of the story, it gives us a very important fact. That the man from the beginning of the story, who God used to speak to these 5,000 people, had been living that way for 40 years. So for 40 years, he had been going to church to beg. Now my question is, do you think that do you think that it was a coincidence he was there that day? Do you think it was a coincidence that Peter and John ran into him? No. God has a plan and purpose for everything. So this whole story, we can kind of wrap up. We can summarize. And we can ask ourselves, what, what did God do in this story? And it's not just a story, it's history, right? What did God do in this time? So think about our lives as a timeline. And we're somewhere over here, and this happened somewhere over here. What did God do at this time? Well, God used a helpless and hopeless beggar to bring forgiveness and salvation to his people, who he loved enough to send his own son to die on the cross for, knowing from the beginning of time that those people would reject him and deny him and be the ones that put him on the cross. God's love brought revelation and forgiveness to the people who were listening to Peter. So that they would become his sons and daughters along with Jesus. So think about that. God sent Jesus to save the people who put Jesus on the cross so that they could become sons and daughters along with Jesus. That type of love makes no sense. It's not a love that we can experience outside of God. When the miracle happened, the Bible says that, like we read, 5,000 people believed and were saved. So that's 5,000 people who God had predestined to be saved on that day at the beginning of time. Knowing that those people were the ones who were going to put them on the cross. Knowing that those people were going to deny them not want anything to do with him. He used this beggar to bring 5,000 people to him along with the beggar. And that same God is the God who's working tonight. And I believe that God's love and forgiveness is here. The same way that God's love and forgiveness was there. And just tonight, if you hear God calling you, listen. Listen to him. And if you, if you feel God touching you and moving in you, receive it. And if you feel God loving you, allow yourself to be broken by him. Give in to his unconditional and overwhelming love. And allow yourself to be consumed by it. It's not a love that you have to understand. It's not a love that has to make sense to you. Well, how can you love me if I've done this? Or how can you love me if I've done that? But I'm not that good of a person. I fail every day. I can't let go of the sin. God's not asking you to be perfect. But he is calling you to him. And if, like I said, if you feel like he's calling you tonight, listen to him. Don't be scared. Because God has his times, God has his purposes, his plans. 
And if you feel him moving in you tonight, and maybe it's because from the beginning of time, he predestined tonight to be the night he reaches you. So let, let the Spirit move wherever you're at. Let the Spirit take control. And just enjoy God's love. To know that even if you felt hopeless or, or helpless this whole time that you've been living or in these periods of time that you are right now, there's a God who's calling you to forgiveness, calling you to love. So that you can be his son. So that you can be his daughter. Along with Jesus. Yes, we all put him on the cross because we've all sinned. But he's calling with love. And he's giving you forgiveness. And when you can be forgiven for, being, for putting Christ on the cross, how can you not take it? How can you not be broken by it? Surrendering to God, thanking Him, and giving your all. So tonight we're just going to pray uh, to finish the service. So wherever you're at, just close your eyes and do your own prayer. Let God know what you're thinking. Let God know what you're feeling. Allow Him to work. Give him time tonight to speak to you, to move in you. Lord, we give you thanks for this night that you've given us, Father. Another opportunity to come before you, to worship you, to praise you, to learn about you, Father. I pray that what happened this day, Father, with Peter and John and this beggar, I pray that you keep it on our minds as we go throughout the week. Keep it in our hearts, Father, to know what you did on that day. That your perfect plan allowed these 5,000 people to come to you. That from the beginning of time, these 5,000 people were on your mind. And you had a plan to bring them to you because they were yours. And anyone who is yours, you will bring to you, Father, because you said that you're not going to lose not a single one. And I pray that you speak to those, Father, tonight that are yours. That you speak to their hearts, to their minds, to their soul, to their spirit, Father. Let them know that they're yours. Give them peace knowing that they're yours. Give them joy. I pray that you strengthen their faith, Father, enough to give in to you and let you work and give you everything, Lord knowing that you know what's best for them. Father, if they're in the moment where they, they can't make up their mind, they're unable to let something go, Father, I pray that you give them the strength to let go. Give them peace and knowing that letting go means they can hold on to you. That letting go of their sin means that they can cling to you. I pray that you move, Father. That you work. Let them feel your love. 
makes no sense to us, Lord, but that is perfect in every way. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, because even even though that beggar might have might have felt hopeless or helpless, like he was gonna die, never really doing anything with his life. For 40 years he was in that state. 40 years depending on other people. 40 years being looked down upon, Father. Yeah, you had a purpose for him. A perfect plan to use him for your glory. I pray that us as your your sons and your servants and your disciples, Father, that we never take for granted your calling. That we never take for granted what you've called us to do. The ministries you've given us, Father. Because you have plans and purposes that overpass anything we can ever imagine. That man could have never imagined that God would have used him to bring 5,000 people to him. In the same way, Father, we pray that we don't put limits on you, on what you can and can't do with us. Just help us to be useful vessels, Father. Allow us to to always be able to be molded by you, Father, not wanting to do our own thing. And give us joy in serving you, Lord. Help us to be like Peter, who didn't have gold or silver or anything that the man was asking for, but he had you. And because he had you, he was able to give that man more than he could ever ask for in his life. Help us to be that light in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, whenever, wherever we're at, Father, help us be that light. That we can always give people Jesus. And because you are everlasting, we can always give Jesus. And because you have no limits, you can always reach people, Father. Help us not be ashamed. Help us not be embarrassed. Help us not to be afraid to give people you, Father. Lord, I pray that you bless everybody who's here tonight. That you continue to work in them. Continue to Show them your plans and purposes for their life. Continue to use them, Father. And whenever they go astray, Father, bring us back. Whenever we go astray, bring us back, Father, to your unfailing love. Because we're nothing without you, Father. We're nothing without you, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor, Lord. Your name we pray.